When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. So hello there to Anna, Anna Lazowski in chilly Winnipeg, Canada. <laughs> it's not too bad. It's only like minus 14 Celsius here today. So it's only warm minus 14 Celsius. Yeah, it was minus 32 Just a few days ago. The thought of that degree of cold, which is the same oh. as a freezer... Reminds me of my days in Ottawa, and those weren't good days. <laughs> Anna, it's great to have you on our new podcast for New Books Network, where we are going to be talking about your craft as a children's author, your life, and especially about your new book, T-Rexes Can't Tie Their Shoes. Uh, and uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I read it. It's incredible. Um, so a, oh, few thank words you. Of, a few words about how the book happened. And uh, be sure to mention the illustrator, your agent, the publisher, uh, where you can get it. And then we're going to talk all about you. Okay. Um, so my uh, road to publishing was not typical. So I like to tell this story, but remind people that it's not typical because I know it can be frustrating for people that work a really long time to try to get published. So I... Um, I'm a journalist and I have a background in fine arts and journalism. So I've been working as a journalist for 20 years. So I write and edit every day. That's what I do at work. So I kind of count all of that as like subbing and querying and editing experience. Um, so when I decided to try writing a children's book, um, I did it in the middle of winter in January, a couple of years ago, because as you said, it's freezing cold here. There's not a lot to do, but it's nice to have creative outlets. So I decided, okay, I'm going to try and see. I knew nothing about publishing. I knew nothing about querying or agent. I didn't know anything. So I'm like, I'm just going to do this for fun because it'll be fun. I like, you know, I like children's books. Anna, it is fun if you're a masochist. <laughs> but I didn't know that yet. 
I was just doing it for me. I didn't think anyone would ever see this or that it would necessarily ever exist as a book. So I wrote it and I thought it was cute and fun. And then I was like, well, how does publishing even work? I don't really know. So then because my background is in research and journalism, I dove in and it became like I was fascinated. And I was just like pulling back all these layers, learning about agents, learning about querying, learning about, you know, query tracker and pitch contests and all this stuff. And I was like, it became like a part-time job for me. I kind of became obsessed by it. Um, so I was like, I want to figure out how this works and see, like, how far can I go? Again, no expectations, because I also didn't know how few people get books published, how few people get agented, like I had no idea. So I just kind of blindly barreled through all these things yeah. and sort of learned as I went. Did you know the uh, odds? Oh, like, isn't it like 3% or something? No, it's more like one in 3,000. Ah, well, that's pretty good then. I guess I'm thinking of, I've seen some pretty terrifying looking agent acceptance. Uh, Agents, agents uh, get thousands of uh, submissions a year. And sometimes they take a couple of new uh, people on and new writers. So you are one in in a thousand, let's say. Yeah. How does that feel? It feels pretty good. Um, Okay. Continue. Yeah. So, I mean, I was kind of, so as I said, I was learning as I went, trying things. And I was like, oh, there are mentorships. I'll apply for some of those. Didn't get them. Oh, I'll do some of these pitch contests. Nothing. Um, so I just kind of kept bumbling on. I kept writing other things and I, you know, joined a couple of things and found a couple of critique partners and kind of bumbled through all that. And um, then in June of 2019, I did. So this started in January of 2019. I wrote the first draft of the book in January, June of 2019. Uh, by that time, I'd written a whole bunch more. I'd done some querying. I had some fulls out with some agents at that point. Uh, and I did the PB pitch pitch contest in June of 2019. And I got a like from Francis Gilbert at Doubleday. So I was like, wow, okay. I had done pitch contests before with nothing with that exact pitch. So I sent it to her and about an hour later, she wrote back that she wanted to buy it. Yeah. So <laughs> it was that fast. And at that point, like I said, I had full requests out with about, I think about five different agents, maybe different books, because I had some nonfiction, I had this, nope, I wasn't querying this anymore at that point. So no one had actually seen this book except for me and her because I had written it before I had critique partners or knew about critique partners. So at that point, I started going back to agents to see if any of them were interested in representing me. And I ended up signing with Mo Ferrara at Bookends. Wonderful. Yes. So yes, that's really wonderful. Um, did you at any stage think perhaps you would do a deal with Doubleday without an agent? Um, I thought about that, but not really because I had spent so much time looking for an agent. And as much as I like diving in and learning a lot about things, contracts are not something that I am interested in in my brain. And even when I saw the first contract, like I just looked at it and went, this is why for me it's better to have an agent because I, it's not something that interests me um so yeah I definitely wanted to have an agent I wanted to have an agent that liked my writing and could see like a future and a career path for me and not um kind of just wanted to represent this one book that had already sold on its own so yeah but I did Mm -hmm. want to have an agent because I think it's nice to have someone that can help you navigate publishing because there are a lot of weird unwritten rules in publishing too that you kind of learn about the farther you go and you know there's so much about relationships and personalities and it's nice to have someone to kind of bounce things off of so you found glory from PB Pitch. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is a shout out to uh, Deborah. 
yeah. uh, who is uh, yes, who is one of the uh, Deborah Schumacher is one of the um, people behind PB Pitch, oh. and the other folks there, uh, their names evade me right now. She's been on the show. PJ McElvain. Yeah, that's right, and uh, and that's incredible. You are like a a poster woman for people. <laughs> For yeah, I always pitch. say like people are always like, oh, I don't know. I've done pitch contests. I've never gotten any traction. And I can say this. I use this exact same pitch in multiple, in PitMad, in earlier versions of PB Pitch. It's all talent and luck and timing. But the luck and timing are, I think, as important <clears throat> as the talent. Because especially with those, people are scrolling and it's just the right eye at the right moment. And you never know. I would like to see that pitch. <laughs> I'll send it to you. Yeah, please. That's... That's incredible. That's an incredible story, um, and uh, and this is uh, and and like you said, it's in rhyme, and you explain what it is. Yeah, part of it's in rhyme. Um, Do you want to read some of it? It's sure. A- yeah, the beginning. There, so there's. So when I was talking to Francis about the book, when I initially sent it to her, it was largely an alphabet book, so it didn't have the rhyming opening. Uh text. So we decided that that would be a nice addition to it to kind of set it up. And at one point before I knew anything about books and didn't know like how many pages you could have and all that, at one point I thought it'd be really fun if you could do this book, do all the letters to Z with all the things animals can't do, and then go backwards and do all the things animals can do. But we didn't do that because that would be, you know, insanely long. So instead we did um, a double spread of nonfiction facts about what the animals can do at the end. So there's a little element of that. So it kind of has rhyming, then it just has the ABC stuff, and then there's a nonfiction element. So it's a little bit of everything. How much it, would you like me to read? Well, I don't remember the beginning. It's something like uh, okay. an, an aardvark doesn't know where to park. Um, it's, I, I would suggest a sequel where you run it backwards with the things yeah, that that animals, would be the animals can do. Um, yeah, I, it's 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 wonderful. Start at the beginning. I will start at the beginning. You know, until you reach the letter L or something. Okay. Um, you won't be able to see the pictures very well, though. But yeah, but this goes to some people will, and some people okay. are listening to us in podcast. And okay, so here we go. The the writer. I, I, Anna, um, yes. the illustrator. The illustrator is the amazing Steph Labaris who is in San Francisco now. She's, uh, she's worked in animation. She's worked in television. She's, she illustrated the Grumpy Cat books, which a lot of people are familiar with. She's incredible. Um, we, like, our sensibilities gelled so well on this project. And this was one of those things where when Frances bought the book, she said, I have the perfect person in mind. And, and she wanted to do it. And mm-hmm. we developed a great friendship, actually. After the, We didn't talk when she was illustrating, but... After the book came out, like we just chatting on Twitter all the time. We did a bunch of launch events together. So, you know, I think it was an amazing choice and the perfect let, pick for this let, book. Let, so let, I was really talk, happy with that. Let's talk about that because what people don't understand is that usually when you have a book mm-hmm. deal, you don't meet the illustrator. You don't talk with the illustrator. Um, you just see the illustrations yeah. when the book is ready. Uh, I want to go back yeah. and talk about that. Remind me. Uh, people can't believe okay. that. You know, you work on a book your whole life yeah. and then, poof, it's gone. Um, so yeah. uh, wonderful illustrations. And I would just say that if you're listening to the podcast, you should run out and buy this book because it is super fun and super educational. You have like back matter. I don't know, 2,000 words of back matter. Mm-hmm. Start at the beginning. Okay, here we go. If you're still a bit small, it is no fun at all when you can't reach a shelf or get dressed by yourself. But you're not alone, my dear friend, it is true. Some things are hard for animals, too. 
a hopscotching horse or kung fu kangaroo. There are lots of things animals just cannot do. Alligators can't pick apples and bees can't ride bicycles. This is one of my favorite pages. I love that little bee face looking so dejected. It's one of Steph's favorites too, actually. We share a lot of that in common as well. Cheetahs can't chew bubble gum and dogs can't wash dishes. Elephants can't fit in elevators. Foxes can't flip pancakes. Giraffes can't do gymnastics. Horses can't play hopscotch. I'm going to go back to the B page when we talk about the illustrators. Iguanas can't eat ice cream and jaguars can't do jumping jacks. Wow. Listen, if, if you read any more of this, we're going to get into copyright issues. Yep. I will tell you something. This page, the iguanas, Steph illustrated mint chocolate chip ice cream. So this is one of those things where it, like when you get the illustrations back, it's kind of this crazy um, feeling where you see how closely linked you are with someone you've never actually met or talked to. But this is my favorite ice cream flavor. It's her favorite ice cream flavor. When she illustrated this page, bees can't ride bicycles. That's mm -hmm. exactly what my bike looks like right down to the color, which I thought was crazy. <laughs> so it's just like, how on earth did you do that? E e yeah. either, that either that or she hired a detective. I don't think so. But you know, what, what they say about writing a children's book is that you as the author, you have to know everything about your characters. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would say you knew everything about that bee and you expressed it in a few words, but she cottoned on. Yeah. I guess, because it worked out so well. But yeah, we have some, there's a, one of my favorite illustrations in the book. The bee, I love the expression. There's also one of the end page, which is narwhals can't eat nachos. And in my head, it was like, well, it'd be funny because there's this big horn in the way. And so when she illustrated it, it's like got all these little nachos stuck down the horn, trying to eat them. And it's so cute. Just like, yep, yeah, that's exactly what it looked like in my head. And then there's some surprises where she would interpret things in completely in ways I had never thought about. And it's so good. So I, I, read the, uh, I read the book, uh, and um, I uh, remembered that some of it rhymed. It rhymes at the beginning, and then the your beginning. conceit is that uh, every animal, the, the verb that they can't do is the same, begins with the same letter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love alliteration. alliteration. <laughs> yeah, so that's wonderful. And your rhyming is so good. Uh, I, I, would, uh, I, I, I teach my students not to rhyme unless they are songwriters or musicians. And you got that at the beginning, you know, it's like the verse of a 1930s a classic a standard. Um, so what, well, that was very, what, it was very helpful to have Frances's eye on that because I don't know that I'm naturally good at that, but she was really good at helping me like with the idea of shaping it. But I read a lot of, now you grew up partly in Canada. I read a lot of Dennis Lee as a kid. Did you read his books? Af after my time, dear. Okay. I'm, I I grew up on the on the um, the uh, Walrus and the Carpenter. because mm. his like his books were an incredible influence, I think, on Canadian children in I, general. I'm like I, I'm like 200 years old when it comes to literature, you know. <laughs> well, he I mean his books were around a while before I was born too, but uh, but they're amazing, and he the way he uses rhyme like it's it's something like I I don't know if I've ever seen that, and I think that's just sort of something that um, a lot of kids of that generation that grew up with those books, it's kind of just in there. Like I read them to my kids and they love them. And they, a lot of them don't make sense and they're strange and they're about specific weird Canadian cities. But like his, 
the way he puts words together is just mind boggling to me. So I think it's all just kind of in there. Mm -hmm. I, I, I remember now, I, I, I grew up on Madeline. Oh yeah. In a house in Paris, all covered with vines. Also with good. 12 little girls in two straight lines. And I'm going to venture that um, it's hard to learn this. You know, you can take courses in rhyming, but I really think you have to be a musician. I have to think, I, th I think that you have to feel this in order to do it well. Yeah. And you have to, you have to have a sense of humor. Yeah. And you have to have a vocabulary. Not, I mean, this is not hard words, but sometimes just even finding simple words, it can be so tricky. And I think like um, when you think about just like you have to have that breadth of, and that's just from reading, right? People who read a lot can kind of just pull words out. It's like that game, that Wordle game that everybody's playing on, online now and posting their scores. But like, it's just simple, like being able to recall and match things that try to make sense and, um, you know, relying a little bit on maybe help from rhyming dictionaries and things. But yeah, I think like the more you read, I think the better rhymer you are too. And not necessarily just reading rhyming because I don't read a lot of rhyming because it's not as common um, in what I end up reading. But uh, I think it's, yeah, it's something that just kind of filters through you when mm. you're you're writing. My 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 uh, gut thinking here would be that you have to be able to read the read it aloud mm -hmm. in in order for it to sink in. But maybe there's some people that read aloud while they're reading silently. You know, you see their lips yeah. moving like that. Maybe, maybe those kind of people. Well, I've worked in radio for 20 years, so everything yeah. I write. I read aloud and it's right. It's written to be read out loud. Everything that I write is written to be read out loud. Um, so I also do read things out loud, but it's just Anna, that, natural that, 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 that that's perfect yeah. for, for writing picture books. Yeah. Tell Tiny us what sentence. you do. Yeah. What do you do at the BBC? At CBC? Um, CBC. Well, I've produced a lot of different national radio shows. Right now I coordinate um, <clears throat> production of shows that air over holidays. So I work with different producers, different reporters and help them make shows. So it's kind of this, it's sort of like being an editor of a picture book, but it's with radio programs. So um, that's, I really think that people who work in radio and have this ability to hear what they're writing or television uh, have a big advantage here because Picture books, you have to read them. Uh, this is the my you know two cents uh, contribution here is that you have to read what you're writing, uh, yeah. or even better, have somebody read it to you. Um, you pick up all kinds of uh, all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. Let's go yeah. back to your to your to your early life. Oh, can I just tell you one more thing about radio that's helpful with mm -hmm. picture books, mm -hmm. which is when you work in radio, you learn to rely exclusively on one set on one sense, which is hearing, right? Because everything is built around what people are listening to including background, sound, music, all of that. So with picture books, it's a similar skill, but you're using it visually. So you've learned how to think about one sense entirely. And then in this way, you can translate it to visual. And it also reminds you to think about things like sound and think about mood and think about all those things that you weave into radio and how you can do that into picture books, because it's the same, even though it's a different sense, you need all of the senses represented, but in a visual way. So I think that's actually probably the most helpful to transferable skill from working so exclusively mm -hmm. with sound for so long. Mm -hmm. but, but, but in this book, there is kind of a literal picture in your head for each, you know, a bee can't ride a bicycle. Well, there's a bee and, and there's a bicycle. Uh, the rendering of this, of course, is... Uh, is the genius of the illustrator. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that you do have to have in your, in your head 
is what the illustration might look like. So you do have to have this visual sense. Um, and uh, so I want to take you now to your next book, okay. which, is, which is next year, which is completely different. Yes. Um, T- it's- T- I-, I recommend everybody to buy this book. Uh, T-Rexes can't tie their shoes. The, 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 um, the book is just as funny as the t- wonderful title. And uh, it has a lot of information at the back for those parents who actually want their kids to learn some STEM. I, 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 I don't know. You know, kids are going to learn at some stage. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm learning now and I'm 70. Um, you know, I prefer the stuff at the beginning, the wonder, the crazy, the um, unexpected. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are some parents who want their kids actually yeah. to learn something about the world. That's why I try to find some world. of those kind of facts that were weird and strange. And because my kids are obsessed with that kind of stuff, like they love weird facts. So like um, that you can scan zebras like a barcode and that each one has different stripe patterns. Like that's fascinating, right? So it's finding those things that are interesting to kids and are just kind of like, they grow to be this tall and they do this and that. Like it's finding those little nuggets that are kind of like that they want to go and tell all their friends about or that teachers want to read because it makes it more interesting. That is your journalist brilliance. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I love I love that. Wow. Now that really makes sense. So like as a journalist, you're looking for things that are truthful or relatively truthful, but also special and startling yeah and and you know to the audience right you always gotta who are you who are you writing this for because a lot of times we write for ourselves we know that we or we write for the seven-year-old whatever version of ourselves um but then oh, it's also... we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves okay though. carry on so, so i want i want <laughs> your new book your, no you know i'm just going to shut up you're doing your own interview here so <laughs> the, the new book and then i want to go back to to your childhood um, the new book is called Dark Cloud. It's being published by Kids Can Press. It's being illustrated by Penny Neville Lee, who's a British illustrator, and she's incredible. Um, that one I wrote also in a January of the following year, I guess 2020. It was right before the whole world shut down, actually. I wrote that book, and it's a lyrical um Sort of rendering of what depression would look and feel like for a kid who's trying to understand or sees it in a parent and is trying to understand what that is. So it uses a lot of symbolism of weather imagery um, and kind of how a kid would move through a day-to-day life and what this would look like. And I was, I really, really liked it when I wrote it. Like I find a lot of my manuscripts, if I have to go back and rework them a lot, they're not going to work. The ones that I write really quickly in one shot and those are the ones that I tinker with the least. Those are the best ones. And this was one of those. It had all. It had very little change until it went to um, my editor, Kathleen Keenan at Kids Can. And we made a few little changes because I had done a lot of repetition. So we mixed up the order. The only thing I did was I flipped the order around in that book um, multiple times to try to get it right. Uh, and then it was another one of those serendipitous, again, Twitter things. Because while it was sitting with Kathleen waiting for a decision, and this is right when everything shut down, meetings all moved online, everybody shifted to working from home, things started taking even longer. So she had it. We were waiting, 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 waiting. Um, Penny posted this beautiful illustration on her Twitter of this little girl hugging a little dark cloud. And I saw it and I was like, oh my God, beautiful. And I thought, if this gets picked up, I want her to be on the list of illustrators for them to look at. So when we were looking at the contracting for this, Kids Can is great. And I just said, you know, I know it's not to me, but I would like to have some input into the illustrator if possible, just to talk about it. And they said that would be fine. 
So we put together a list, sent it to the art director and ended up, and Penny ended up being the successful illustrator candidate. So, I mean, I was so happy because it's going to be beautiful. Like I can't wait to see it. I haven't seen any illustrations yet, but I can't wait. It's going to be mm. amazing. But they, but they tell us, don't they tell us not to write about sad things? Uh, they do. I think you can write about sad things <laughs> as long as there's a bit of hope. The first draft of that book there, it was hopeless. So I tweet, slightly tweaked the end. <laughs> I, uh, always, yeah. always a good idea. Yes. Sometimes you just got to get that out, right? And then you got to go back and go, okay, who's, who's, who's reading this, right? Little kids who are dealing with something specific and trying to understand something that's really difficult to understand and really difficult yeah. to explain. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Did, did, did you say a hook at the end? Hope. Okay, so one of the great things I love... Um, is because at my age I don't hear so well, is, uh, is, is mistakes. I'm a big believer in mistakes. And um, I heard you say, you said a hope at the end, and I heard hook. And then I thought of a children's book as a kind of a necklace, hmm. where at the end there's a hook that enables you to connect it with the clasp, which is the beginning. I love that. I love circular endings. I love them. Yeah. And I love. I think I they're love great. Hearing, I think it. I, I, I love hearing things wrong. <laughs> you never know where it'll take you. Yeah. So please write to me before this book comes out because we definitely, you know, as as one of millions and millions of people who was really down and out these past two years, I'm yep. dying. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm dying. Uh, not a good word for depression. Um, I'm anticipating <laughs> yeah. reading that one. That one as well. Um, and uh, I, did you write it because somebody is sad in your family? Um, I think all families, and probably now, there there are elements of anxiety, there are elements of depression. And I think there are certainly, it's going to be, and I mean, at the time, we hadn't really gotten very far into the pandemic, but the further we go in, you just see how necessary books like these are to help kids process what they're feeling, because we know what's happening to mental health for everyone as this carries on for years. And I think it's just one of those things where even if you haven't necessarily been technically diagnosed with depression, you can see this, like you can see elements of this in yourself, in your kids. Everybody has days where they just feel like, can I do this? <laughs> I don't know. So I think it, it's, it's one of those things where they can be helpful for people just to see what that might look like and try to start to understand those relationships. And uh, do you know the song, Look for the Silver Lining? Who's it by? Oh, it's from 1920. Oh, then maybe not. I, I don't used, know. I used to know who wrote it. Um, mm -hmm. Look for the silver lining. Whenever a cloud appears in the blue, remember something, the sun is shining. So the right thing to do is let it shine for you. I'll send it to you. Okay, it's very about, good. 102 years. Um, so thank you for reminding me of that classic. <laughs> Now back to your early childhood, because you know my theory. What? That if you, if you write books for five-year-olds, then you're stuck at the age of five. That's my theory. I am. Yep. 
I think I'm. I think I placed myself about seven, six or seven. That's yeah. Okay. Like that. mm-hmm. I'm not going to hold that against you. <laughs> so start at the beginning. Who are you, Anna? Start. Oh my God, the beginning. Um, who am I? So I was born in Winnipeg, which is right in the middle of Canada. My, I have an older brother who is an accountant. Um, my mom was an English teacher. And my dad was a journalist. So we, you know, read, listened to the radio all the time. We, there was always information, but lots of reading. Um, the first picture book I ever remember writing, I know I wrote a lot as a kid. Um, the first picture book I remember writing was in grade six for a class assignment, which was a continuation of a story that we had read. <clears throat> and my teacher ended up picking mine and I had to do all the illustrations for it. We had it laminated, then I had to present it. <laughs> so that wow. was my very first picture book experience. Yeah. yeah. Do you have the book? No, I have no idea what happened to it. We moved. Um, well, that was after we moved. So when I was six, we moved to Moscow because my dad was a foreign correspondent for the CBC. So we lived there for three and a half years. That was while it was still a communist place that we got there and there were people walking around the streets with giant guns, which I had never seen growing up in Canada. We were protected from people. You weren't allowed to mingle. Like it was a culture shock. Like I can't really describe what that was like. And I remember reading about Indigenous communities in Canada and how for a lot of people who suffer severe trauma, like so many did, when whatever age you are, when that trauma hits, that kind of stays a little bit, right? So, I mean, there's all different kinds of trauma, but being uprooted from your life and moving far away and experiencing all these things, like there's different elements of trauma. And I think some of that is what we kind of keep with us and what we kind of go back to when we're thinking about parts of our brain and so that's what I think. I think I'm about six or seven because that's when that happened. I mean, there were great things about that because we met, you know, amazing people, kids from all over the world that I went to school with that I still am connected to some of them. We traveled all over the place while we were living overseas. And then we ended up moving back to Canada when I was going into grade five. And that was another culture shock because the kids that I met when I came back here were not like me at all, Right. So it was kind of like being an immigrant into your own country in a way, because there's a lot of time between when you're six and when you're 10, right? From grade one to grade five is a, a lot. So um, we moved back, went back to school here, went through school. I got a, my first degree in university was in fine arts, um, which was amazing. I think everybody should go to art school. Art school is the best thing to do for your brain, I think you're given problems and you have to solve them visually which is kind of like picture books but also in the opposite way <laughs> so it's like you take whatever they assign you and you have to make it something unique and interesting and that's completely of you right and it has to be authentically you so that was yeah i am a huge advocate for art schools as hard as crazy as they are and how weird they are in academia like just the the ability to play and the ability to explore things is something that most people never get to do and it is incredibly fascinating. You learn a lot about yourself and how your mind works in that kind of an experience. The only thing I would say is that I used to have life drawing classes at eight o'clock in the morning. So I was like 18, I think. <laughs> You're walking into life drawing classes with these nude models at like eight in the morning. You're just kind of like, 
okay, so that was, <laughs> that was kind of a lot. Um, but I majored in photography. I did sculpture. I did drawing. I did all this kind of stuff. And then after that, I went to journalism school because originally I wanted to write about art. That was my initial plan as a journalist. But by the time I got out of journalism school, all of the art publications were folding and all of that was all kind of being swept away. So it didn't quite work out that way. So I ended up going into radio, which is where I've been for the last 20 years. That's incredible. So um, I guess the, the, the simple question is everybody's looking these days for author illustrators. Have you considered illustrating your own stories? I've thought about it. It's funny when I, I haven't drawn anything in a really long time. And I feel like That's it would the best be re the best reason. <laughs> so, I, just feel like, I, uh, I think it would take a long time to get back up to speed on that. I think maybe one day. I also used to really love doing collages. My thesis work when I was in photography was layering of images using a slide projector. So as like, you know, analog as you can get. I did double exposures in a black and white um, studio. So I was doing double exposures in a, like myself, not with Photoshop. I was doing it all layering myself. So I love collages and I love that. So I think if I ever end up doing anything illustratory, it would probably be that kind of stuff. But yeah, maybe one day. We have to, we have, we have to talk. This is what I want to do this year. Oh yeah? Use collages to, yeah. Amazing. I'm, yeah, well, we won't share this with everybody, but this is exactly what's happening in my in my life because I've done everything except be an artist. Oh. And I'm looking for some expression which enables me to just, you know, rip things up. <laughs> yeah. And put them back together again. I'm, I'm very good at the first part, <laughs> you know, ripping things up. It's my middle name. Mm -hmm. Um, your brain, so, yeah, um, mm -hmm. Anna. So, is there anything that I haven't asked you as we as we near the end of our wonderful interview? But I I, I want to have another session with you when when nobody's listening. <laughs> okay, offline. Um, I don't know. I I mean I think one of the things I like so much about the writing community and even just meeting you this way is how supportive everybody is. And I had no idea like that the writing community existed when I started, but finding this group of people who are all like a kind of, you know, slightly outsiders, slightly weirdos, a lot of introverts. Like it's, it's like, <laughs> I've never really been much of a joiner of anything, but I think this is kind of like, yeah, this is, this is a good little bunch of people. People are so willing to help and answer questions. So I spent last summer, I mentored two other writers because I was like, it's so fun to work with people on, their work. And I think that's what's so nice about this community is people are, you know, trying to get their stuff seen, trying to get their stuff published, but there's also this huge willingness to help other people. And it's not competitive. I mean, I'm sure there's some elements of like jealousy and competitiveness because we're people, but, you know, but there's this incredible sense of we're all in this together, which is, I don't like, I don't know if I've ever seen that anywhere else, you know, complete strangers are all rooting for each other and helping each other. And it's just, that's not something that's typical in a lot of places. But, but, you know, in other places, like if there's two people and one fish. So they're gonna, they're gonna compete for the fish. Mm -hmm. But here, the chance of getting published by a traditional publisher is so slim, you know, that one in a thousand gets the fish, uh, uh, 90, 999 are rooting for that person. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's one thing. The other is that we're all, we're all children. 
Uh, almost all the people I've interviewed, and it's already almost 40 picture book writers, illustrators, and, and, and we are all children at heart. And, and as you said, we, we write for ourselves, basically. Mm -hmm. if, we like, if we like what we've written, yeah. there's a chance that some other human being... Hopefully, like yeah. That's the goal. I mean, I loved alphabet books. I loved reading them to my kids. So I was like, oh, what a hard it is to write one of those because they're fun, right? So now I've moved oh. into this other sphere where my next book is not fun, but it's lyrical and kind of in a beautiful way. Because I think the other thing you can bring if you're not bringing humor, because I don't really think of myself as a funny writer, at all um but i think if you can bring like a sense of beauty and a sense of wonder to something that's a little bit hard like how do you write about hard things you have to make it palatable for kids and you can do that but it's just a different kind of way of thinking about things you know it's funny world i, I just interviewed nick solis about two weeks ago mm. and his first book was hilarious his second book is a serious one yeah also something to nice. Put like, I think it's good for writers. Like when I was querying initially, like I had, this is, I guess, a funny book, but I had, you know, a nonfiction biograph biography. Like I, cause I think what, what keeps it interesting for me is writing a bunch of different things and not just like, I couldn't just write one kind of book. I don't think that would satisfy my brain. Like I like to be able to write across. I have one rhyming manuscript that I really love that I don't know if anyone will ever see, but um, so I have one actual full rhyming manuscript and then some nonfiction and fiction, but, and in different ways, like sometimes they're written almost like poems with no punctuation. And sometimes they're written as normal little stories with full punctuation. So I think it's great to be able to I think people stress a lot writers stress a lot about you know this is what like suddenly everybody was writing all dialogue so all the MS's I was critiquing for people were all dialogue which I find really hard I've never tried to write one because I find them difficult but it was just like this huge wave of okay now we're all writing dialogue but I, I love writing dialogue oh writing dialogue I, is cool. I, I was so happy when the wave hit <laughs> I said oh it's kosher to write dialogue now but it can be challenging. It's hard to make those links to get the flow of the story. Like that yeah, is a skill. It, yeah. It, yeah. I haven't sold any, but it's so much fun. It is fun. It is fun. But it's just one of those things where I think people need to not worry so much about what other people are doing or what the trends are and just write what they want. Because, you know, if you're the only one that's ever going to see it, we all have books that we are the only ones and we're ever going to read them. Maybe our critique partners, maybe our agent's going to look at them and be like, mm, I don't think so. Right. But so, <laughs> and I think just trying different things can help strengthen the ones that you do end up doing. So writing across styles, I think is really, really helpful for me anyway. So I think it's, it's always nice to stretch and try something different and it might not work, but you might learn something in that you can apply to something else and it'll make you a better critique or two. I think that, and I'm sure I, I, I think that, Everything that we do and learn and connect, the farther away the points are, the more exciting mm -hmm. it is to try and connect them. Yeah. Uh, this, has been, uh, this has been remarkable. And I do remember now the question that I haven't asked you. Um, oh. So the, the question was, who came up with that brilliant idea for the title? Oh, I wrote the title. Yeah, it was... No, but did, did it become... Be, was it before the book or you just said... It was before oh, the book. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, and a T. Ah, T-Rexes can't tie their shoes. It started with T-Rexes because my kids and I used to play this game in the winter when they're in the house and you're bored. All the things T-Rexes couldn't do because of their tiny arms. So we did that for a while and then we ran out of those. Then we started moving on to other animals. So that was kind of the, the origin story of the book. So that was always the title of the book because it's so ridiculous and funny. 
and tiny arms are hilarious. So yeah, so no, it came with that title that was even in the pitch that Francis, I think she, she liked the pitch, including the title. That was kind of what caught her eye on that. So yeah, that came as part of the package. Incredible. So um, as one of many thousands of writers who have reached the pinnacle, uh, Anna Lazowski, it was great interviewing you. And, Thank you so much. It was fun. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do a private thing. And uh, let me know when your next book is coming out and we'll have a, um, a more serious, deep, dark uh, conversation about um, light and dark. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love that. So thank you very much. So for uh, the New Books Network and me, Mel Rosenberg, your host, it was wonderful having Anna Lazowski here to talk about her new book, T-Rexes Can't Tie Their Shoes, But They Can Try. And, you yep. know, and, and what you've shown us today is sometimes when you try, you've certainly tied your shoes in the end. So thank you very much, and I will thank be you. in touch. Bye, dear. Bye. Ah, regards to Winnipeg. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.